السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ وی لیو ان موسٹلی اربن انوائرمنٹس ویئر از A hundred and fifty years ago, we lived in mostly rural environments. The world, a hundred and fifty years ago or so, was mostly an agrarian world. People lived and grew their food and uh, that was their mode of survival. Uh, they ate what they grew, and they lived in very, very small villages or towns. Um, I've traveled around the world a little bit, and what I've seen is that in much of the world, there's a migration from these villages to the large urban centers. So you end up with cities that have 20 million people in them. And you end up with rural areas that uh, become uh, emptier and emptier. In America, there have been other Um, pressures on the rural agrarian culture. Uh, essentially, agribusiness has bought up all the farms, and now corporations own the farms, and the small individual farmers have a very difficult time uh, surviving. So they're also forced to move to urban areas. Now, you would think that with all these people teeming close to each other, um, there would be more intimacy among people. But in reality, what happens in the large urban areas is there is less intimacy. People can live next door to each other for years and years and years, and never get to know each other, never speak. There's like a distance. Uh, New York especially has this reputation of uh, being cold and people not speaking to each other, uh, people just walking by each other. Uh, it's, it happens because of a lot of reasons. Uh, in a lot of the urban centers, people are a little afraid. Uh, you have uh, crime, and people don't necessarily want to get involved uh, with other people because of that fear. There's also this fear of when you get involved with other people, uh, you create obligations 
Or there is the possibility of rejection and the possibility of difficulty. I know when younger people are dating, uh, dating becomes a really cathartic experience for a lot of young people because of rejection and because of the complexity of entering into personal relationships. Well, if one is fortunate enough in this uh, world of so many different ways and uh, means and possibilities uh, to find a teacher, a mentor, a guru, a sheikh, who is a true sheikh, the sheikh provides many different kinds of experiences for his disciples. And one of the things that the sheikh provides is a place to find intimacy. The sheikh, when you approach him, when you come close to him, the first thing you notice from the moment that you meet him, and I'm speaking from personal experience, is that love exists there. And it's deep, and it's profound, and it's available to you. And that love is an intimate experience. Somehow, no matter how hard the shell is that you are encased in, when you come before a being who is the exemplar of love, he's capable of breaking through that shell and touching you in your innermost being. People come, sit, listen to him talk, and break down and cry. Why? Because something was touched within them. Somehow, he was able to get to a part of them that hasn't been gotten to before. And it reverberated within them, and it was familiar to them, and they cried. And why did they cry? Because they missed the fact that it hadn't happened before. They missed the fact that they didn't know about it before. They missed the fact that somehow intimacy hadn't been an important part of their life before. Well, in our search for Allah and the Sheikh <coughs> is of course a representation of our relationship with Allah. We 
have to develop intimacy. If we can't develop intimacy with people, we can't develop intimacy with God. And that's a very important thing to know. The prophet said, peace and blessings be upon him, that marriage is half of your deen, half of your path, half of your religion. Why? Because in marriage, if it's done correctly, you develop intimacy. You develop a closeness. You develop a merging. Now, if you're truly going forward with a sheikh, what's supposed to happen? Eventually, there's supposed to be a merging. You're supposed to become simultaneous with him. You're supposed to surrender to him. In a marriage, the wife surrenders to the husband, and the husband surrenders to the wife. And in that, there is an intimacy. There is a merging. Now, can you develop those kinds of relationships with people? Can you have intimate relationships with other people? Tarikats, the uh, orders of the Sufis, create a space where that can occur, where men come into relationships with each other, where there is trust, where there is dignity, and where they can rely on each other. Now, if we can't rely on each other, we can't be intimate. Because if I don't trust you, I'm not going to let you inside of me. It's not real complicated. If you can't be trusted, then nobody will let you inside of you. And if you can't trust other people, you're not going to let anybody get close to you. If you can't let other people get close to you, you can't let God get close to you. That fear continues to separate you. So one of the things that the sheikh does is he presents to you a situation that you can trust. He presents to you an example of a trusting relationship. And he immediately trusts you and will take that relationship as far as you will allow it to go. Now, there are instances where people come in who can't be trusted. It's like having a rattlesnake for a pet. Uh, 
it's not going to go well. And the uh, the sheikh recognizes rattlesnakes, and sometimes he tells them. There was a situation where somebody came to uh, Bawa, and they said, uh, he said, what do you want to know? He said, tell me about myself. And he said, uh, I would, but if I did, I would have to spend the rest of my time defending myself from you. Some people don't want intimate relationships because they're hiding too much. And as uh, people who are open, you have to be careful. You have to understand who you can have intimate relationships with and who are hiding so many things that they're dangerous. But what you need to know is that no matter how many times you may have been hurt in trying to establish intimate relationships, you should not be afraid to continue to try. And it's important. Now, we gather here. We're a small group. But in this group, we try to create an aura of trust among each other. An aura of safety among each other. We try to create a sanctuary so when people enter, they feel relaxed and safe so that they can surrender their defenses. They can surrender their anxiety. They can surrender things like anger and resentment because they know it's not necessary. They know that when you enter these walls, there's nobody to defend yourself from because nobody is looking to get one up on you. Nobody is looking to hurt you. Nobody is looking to do anything other than to love. So we need to be able to be in more situations where resentment and anger and animosity and jealousy don't exist. Now, marriages that don't make it don't make it because they have resentment and animosity and an inability to work through those kinds of things. Friendships that don't make it don't make it for the same reason. Relationships that don't make it don't make it for the same reason. And if we cannot make those relationships with people, we cannot make those relationships with Allah. Now, the Sheikh is capable of looking and seeing the animal within the being. He can see if you're a fox or if you're a bear or if you're a hippopotamus or if you're a true human being. We aren't quite 
that attuned yet. But over time, we can discover the ones who hide themselves, the ones who wear masks and try to be something other than they are. And once you discover it, you have to make a decision that these are people you can't be too close to because it's not safe. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other people that you can be close to. And we need to be able to be close to people. Now, what happens in religions is religions often carve out entire sections of society that they say you can't be close to. They carve out basically other religions. If you are in this religion, you can't talk to people in that religion. If you are in this religion, you can't be involved with people in that religion. Well, we've just cut out large percentages of society. For what reason? Because of a cultural bias and a religion's insistence of its superiority. Um, Bawa tells a story about the Noor in the form of a man coming to uh, a religious leader. And uh, he says, he gives his greetings to the religious leader. And uh, the religious leader says to him, who are you? And the Noor says, I'm the lowliest of men. And he says, oh, so you're low caste. Well, you have no place here because we don't allow anyone who's low caste to interact with us. So leave. And he left. And he turned around and he said, I have a question. And uh, the religious leader said, well, since you're low caste, ask your question from the outside. I'll stand inside, but you aren't allowed here. And he said, uh, what is it? that is so high that you're involved with that uh, you drive away the low caste uh, people and he said and he showed him uh, there was a curtain behind him and he unveiled the curtain and the curtain had five and behind the curtain there was a plaque and on the plaque was five symbols and underneath of that was a statue and each of the symbols represented one of the elements. And then there was a god that they had fashioned out of the elements. And they said, this is what we pray to. And this is the highest possible kind of being. And then the uh, Noor responded, these are the elemental forms that have been cast off by the true God. And what you worship is the lowest. And yet you act as if it's the highest. I have no place here with you. And you have no place with the truth. And this is one of the things that's happened to the religions. Even though they may not worship idols anymore. 
they don't accept the truth. And if Noor came to them, they would chase Noor away. Uh, there's a novel where Jesus comes back and comes to the Pope. And the Pope tells him, um, really, we don't need you now. Uh, we, we've got this thing under control and, and, and you would just interfere with what's going on. And that's essentially how religions treat the truth. We don't need you right now because we're good. We have it under control. We've already decided we don't want anybody else involved here. And to start now saying that other people are okay also does away with our recruiting programs. Religions, for the most part, can't handle the truth and don't want to handle the truth. But what Sufism is trying to expound is that there is one creator who created one creation. And all men have a soul. Now, all men are not exactly the same, and all men don't have the same level of consciousness, but all men have the possibility for that level of consciousness. Some refuse to expand their consciousness, and others yearn to expand their consciousness. The ones who refuse to expand their consciousness are stuck in the egocentric idea of I am superior to you. Now, the fact that someone like the Noor says, I am the lowest of Allah's creation, doesn't mean that the Noor isn't superior to you. Bawa used to say, I am the lowliest of Allah's creations. But his superiority in creation was evident if you spent any time with him. But part of what made him so superior was the status of his humility. His humility brought him up, and his consciousness brought him up. So what we need to understand is that as we develop our consciousness, and as we move from intellect to judgment to understanding to consciousness to a broader understanding of wisdom, which is consciousness, we become more inclusive in our way of being. And we lose all of the things that aren't associated with wisdom. When we're in, 
when we're stuck in intellect and haven't moved into wisdom, and this is where the problem arises, intellect can't understand wisdom. And wisdom can't convince intellect. So the only movement is when an individual themselves begin to understand there's something missing here. And it's not missing outside of me. It's missing in me. I don't get it. And that's the big shift. Because before then, it's always, he don't get it. Now, all of a sudden, I don't get it. And when you can make the leap to I don't get it, and I need to find it, nothing happens until that happens. Because as long as he don't get it, you're not going to move. As long as he don't get it, you're going to be very satisfied in the spot that you are. As long as they don't get it, you are the king of your own minuscule understanding. And in that realm, you govern yourself you have your own ideas, and you refuse to expand beyond those ideas. To go and become intimate with Allah, you have to be, you have to be able to expand beyond yourself. And then it's, goes from, he don't get it, to I don't get it, to am I really here, to who am I, to do I exist, to only God exists. It's a progression. It moves. And if we get stuck in any section of that progression, we stop our consciousness by defending whatever state we're at at the time. I've learned recently that when Sufis walk into doors, or walk through doors, they don't step on thresholds. They don't step on thresholds because a threshold indicates a new um, awakening. And if you step on that awakening, you may adhere to it. Uh, you may become attached to it. It may become as far as you go. So Sufis step over thresholds as a symbol that they're not finished. That they're moving forward. I wrote a poem a long time ago before I knew uh, this that says, On the road to infinity there are an infinite number of thresholds to cross. If you stay to the, each one of them beckons you to call it home. If you stay, you will change from a pilgrim to a defender of thresholds. And that's the choice we have to make. 
have we found the truth or are we a pilgrim? If we are a pilgrim, then we know that we are constantly on the move. Now, we may not change our physical residence, and we may not go very far physically, but movement is not physical movement. Consciousness is the movement that we're looking for. And wisdom, in one way, is an increase in our ability to love and in our ability to be intimate. Wisdom is our increase in respect for others and in our ability not to react to others. Wisdom is our ability to say to someone, well, you do what you do and I'll do what I do. You go your way and I'll go my way. Wisdom is the ability not to meet aggression with aggression. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. What's it mean? It means don't meet aggression with aggression. And what does the world do? It thinks that aggression can solve problems. If somebody comes at you, the response and the solution is to come at them harder. Life is not a football game. Life is not a wrestling match, although at times it appears that way. The wrestling that we have to do is the wrestling with ourselves. The jihad that we have to go on is the jihad with ourselves. The normal understanding, the worldly understanding of jihad is, he don't get it, and I'm going to make sure he does. The true meaning of jihad is, I don't get it, and I have to do something about myself so that I will understand. But religion, not all religion, but a lot of religion, can't handle introspection. If you are an authority figure, and if you want to maintain that superiority, what does introspection do? Well, it looks at your faults. And religion doesn't want to look at its faults. It wants to maintain control. We have to look at our faults. Why? Because we want to expand our consciousness. We know that we are not who we are capable of being yet. And we know that there's a lot of expansion still to happen. And this expansion can only happen through humility and through an understanding of the fact that we need to move forward. And so, can we, when we're approached by somebody and they say, who are you, can we respond, we are the lowliest of Allah's creation. 
I doubt it. I doubt if that's the response that you would give. I think what you would most likely do is tell them, well, I graduated from so-and-so, I teach so-and-so, I went to so-and-so, I know so-and-so, I can do such-and-such, and explain your status. Is it possible that when you talk about yourself, that you don't explain your status, but you explain your humility? Is it possible that when somebody says to you, who are you, you can respond, whether it's true or not, I am the lowliest of Allah's creations. It's in that humility that the truth is known. Because next to Allah, what are we? Next to Allah, who are we? Next to Allah, what are we? We either exist in illusion or we exist in Allah where the we disappears and Allahu Akbar becomes all there is. Now, it's very difficult to comprehend the meaning of these things until you know these things. Only Allah knows Allah. Only Rahman knows Rahman. Only Rahim knows Rahim. And if we are in the intellect, all that we can do is learn the definitions and repeat them. But these words are not words of definition. They're words of being. And being is different than defining. Being is different than talking. Being is different than a philosophy. Being is. So the question is, who are we? Who am I? What's the reality about me? What am I being? What am I capable of being? And what is it that I intend to be? All of this begins with an intention. Do I intend to be superior or do I intend to surrender? Do I tend, do I intend to be a servant of Allah, or do I intend to be a king in this world? Allah makes the kings, and the only true kings are his servants. Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, was the Rasul, the messenger. But he was also the Abd, the servant. Abduhu wa Rasulallah. The title of servant comes before the title of messenger. What's that mean? 
It means until you're the servant of the king, you can't be the messenger of the king. You can't be a messenger unless you're a servant. You can't reach the pinnacle of being unless you've surrendered. You can't reach the pinnacle of consciousness until you've surrendered the I. The I has to be given up for the truth to be known. And the I, in a larger sense, exists in our institutions, exists in our governments, exists everywhere. And everywhere has to give it up. Imagine how different India was when Gandhi was the one people looked to for governmental decisions, as opposed to Nehru. It was not the same thing. Imagine what it's like in a tariqat, where you look to a sheikh for the decisions, as opposed to a government where you look to a king or a president or a parliament for the decisions. Imagine decisions coming from divine luminous wisdom as opposed to from intellect. There's going to be a huge difference. Well, all of these things are available in the world. And we have to decide which one are we going to pay our obeisance to. Who is our ruler? Who is the one we depend on? Who are we devoted to? Who is our Lord? Is our government our Lord? Is our president our Lord? Our politics our ruling instincts? What is it? Or... Are we capable of being detached from the world and follow Allah in our own private way? And in following Allah, do we still need the praise of the world? Or can we be like the monk who hides in a cave and is satisfied to be with God? We don't need to go anywhere. To be on pilgrimage. We can sit still and close our eyes and leave and be with God. And we don't need to broadcast what's going on to everyone around us. We just need to do it and we need to know it and we need to be there and we need to go. So each of us needs to set the intention to become intimate with our Lord and to become at peace with humanity. May it be so for each of us. Amen.